The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. You know, when I ask people to open up the service in prayer, one of the rules is I never tell them what scripture to read. Tell them whatever God lays on your heart, that's what you need to share. And thank you, Mike, for reading that. And I thank God that he laid that on your heart because that's where, we'll be pre- that's where we're going to be preaching today. Um, so the playlist series is not really going to be a verse-by-verse study. We're going to choose different psalms, and some psalms that are short we're going to review and go through over verse-by-verse. Verse. Other psalms, we're just going to pick um, several things and cover those. But the reason God laid this on my heart is because I was watching the news, and as most of you know, the protests are still happening in our country, and there's one particular one that really caught my attention. It was in Portland, Oregon, and as watching the clips, I was, you know, seeing people protest, and all of a sudden, they start burning the American flag, and then some protesters came up with a stack of Bibles and start throwing them in the fire. It kind of reminded me of what I was reading about in the French Revolution. It was a political revolution, and, uh, you know, they stormed and destroyed all the relics that reminded them of any authority, and they scaled up the, 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 the Notre Dame, and they threw down the cross, which represents the authority of God, and it's laying there. And then this revolter looked at this peasant and said, we're going to remove all the symbols that remind you of God. And that peasant said, well, you might as well put down the stars. It's impossible. It's impossible. And this arrogant attempts of sinful man to overthrow God, uh, this rebellion really is old as the Garden of Eden when the first man, Adam, rose against God. And since then, the human race has been gained the momentum and conspiracy to revolt against God. But no matter how determined they are, they will never overthrow God. And at times of rebellion in our times, sometimes it seems more, uh, more powerful than other times. But is our world out of control? Is our country out of control? Is what, what's the, what, what, why is there chaos now in our country, too? Have you guys watched the news? You know, husband said to her wife, shall we watch the 6 o'clock news and get indigestion or wait for the 11 o'clock news and get insomnia? Should we sink into depression and despair? Should we ignore the news, maybe ostrich style, just ignore whatever's happening? And Psalm 2 gives us the answer. And there's hardly, I think, more relevant passage that applies to us at the present time because I don't need to tell you that the day is filled with iniquity, sins everywhere, on every hand. All the world has thrown all standards aside and embracing wickedness. We live in a day of misery. And really, it's sad to say that little surprises me anymore. Society continues on this downward spiral. 
And again, any form of wickedness is even encouraged. And the fundamental Christian is viewed as hindrance to this progress, and they're despised by the world. It's easy to, for a Christian to become discouraged in this world. It's easy to be, become discouraged, and we see all this wickedness, and they're prospering while the righteous seem to suffer. But folks, we're not the first ones to face difficulties. The only thing will matter in this life is what you've done with Jesus. And Psalm 2 is irrelevant, not only for this time, but also for every age and all people. You know, I played basketball, and I dedicated a lot of hours to practice. You know, I didn't mind doing chores as long as I get to go play basketball. So I'll clean the kitchen, I'll do what you want, just mom let me go out in the basketball court. And when I played basketball on the team for the, for the schools, I practiced a lot of foul shots, at least 200 a day, because that's easy, that's easy points. You, when you're on the foul line, that's easy points. And I know I sound like I'm reminiscing, right, like Uncle Rico. But the reason I'm telling you that is because I wanted to win. The reason I put so much into it is because I liked winning. Losing sucks, doesn't it? Does anybody say, oh, I want to lose? And I don't know about you, but I like to be on the winning side. And since you guys know I'm a basketball fan, I watched the last documentary, uh, the last dance documentary about Michael Jordan and the Bulls, like six times. <laughs> but there's little clips they're showing an interview in different players, you know, before the games, and one stood out to me, which is kind of funny. Uh, they were interviewing Steve Kerr, and they were talking about the other team that they were facing, how good they are, and all that stuff. And they asked Steve Kerr, what's your guys' strategy today to win tonight's game? And Steve Kerr just said, we got MJ. <laughs> we got MJ. And as Christians, even though it's easy to become discouraged, I want you to know we got Jesus. We got Jesus. We are on the winning side. And I want to read... Psalm 2 with you today, and we're going to talk about invincible kingdom. Now, really, there's four voices in the psalm. There's four different voices. The first, and it's separated into three verses at a time. So, why do nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. That is the voice of God's guilty subjects. Those are the sinful man. Then we have God speaks. God's great scorn in verses 4 through 5, it says, He who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And then Jesus starts speaking. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. And the last three verses is the Holy Spirit. God's gracious Spirit says, Now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled a little. Blessed are those are all those who put their trust in him. Blessed are those all who put his trust in him. Doesn't the first three verses sound like what's going on in the world today? A nation that was founded upon the word of God now just wants to distance themselves from the Word of God. You know, there was a campaign to remove, if you look at the last 50 years, to remove prayer from public, pu- public places, public readings, not in schools. Uh, people were discouraged from praying name, Jesus' name public, publicly. They removed the Ten Commandments from everywhere, from the schools, from the courthouses. Uh, there was push to silence preaching of the gospel, the message of repentance. America has rejected and mocks God right now. Who made this nation so great in the first place? And if you look at it, every religion is pretty much embraced except Christianity. But the victory, folks, the victory is in the Son of God. The anointed, the Messiah, the Christ of God. And as we sang that last song, it says, have faith in God. He's on the throne. Have faith in God. He watches over his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, I want to break down these four voices and look at them. The first voice is the sinful people. And the first thing I want you to look at, it starts with the question. It says, why do nations rage? In Psalm 2.1, and people plot a vain thing. Well, why do people rage? Have you seen anyone in rage? Why is there so much war, so much hatred? Men's hearts and minds are inflamed. People today are violent and just filled with rage. There's no peaceful protest going on. Why is there this rage? And really, it's a, it's a, it, these nations are going against God. And the really amazing thing when you think about it, because in the book of Acts 14, 17, it says it's this. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and he did good. Gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Think about all the goodness that God gives to us, even the wicked and the righteous. God, think about God deposited on this earth everything man needs. Not just food, we got gold, we got iron ore, we got, we got everything need. And God has made it possible for his earth to bring fruit, an abundant harvest of food. Everything God knows we could ever need, he has provided. Yet, this man takes all these blessings from God and says, God, get out of our world. We don't want you anymore. Why? Pride. It's pride. What sin made devil the devil? Pride. Look with me in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. It says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down the ground, you weakened the nations. That's what's happening. You become weak. For you have said in your heart, 
I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I. And folks, you can't spell sin or pride without that I being in the middle. And, and five times just in these verses, he says, I, I, I. You know, the great anthem is now the Frank Sinatra song. You guys remember I did it my way? There's so many regrets, so many things. But one thing he's proud of, I did it, I did it my way. And pride is the devastating sin of the Satan. And it's number one in God's hate parade. If you look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, it says, The six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. And number one is what? A proud look. Pride. Pride is the desire to rule our own lives, to topple down God, his authority from the throne. And the root of all opposition is pride. And we don't want to, be, want to be obedient to him, to his commandments. And when Lucifer fell, he gathered some angels along with him. And when man was created in the image of God to, on earth to reflect God's image and to rule his representatives over the creation of the earth, now there's those angels are rebelling. And when Adam yielded to this Satan's temptation, the man rebelled along with the angels. And folks, if you study the Bible, you'll see this rebellion over and over. It takes organized shape and forms. If you look at Genesis 11.4, when they try to build the Tower of Babel, in Genesis 11.4 says, And they said, Come, let us, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in heaven's, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let us. We're going to build a tower up to God. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And God just confused their languages and scattered them all. Pride of those at Babel. But Satan works through his pride with the world leaders, weakening the nations through conflict and keep them from submitting to God. And biblical prophecy shows that in the times, all nations will come together under one single world ruler in defiance of the Lord. And Satan has been behind this world ruler, the Antichrist. Think about what's happening to the home. Think about the stable basis for society. The home we've known in America, are all these fundamental things are literally, they're all gone. It's termites of sin, greed, pride, ego, hatefulness. Eating away at the foundation of the home. And I don't understand what's, what, what is that that deceives so many people to this senselessly thinking that they can overthrow God. So that rage that they have turns into rebellion. If you look at Psalm 2.2, it says, The king of these earths set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, you see that against his anointed? That is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And all this fear, all this pain, all this war, all this death, everything that's happening is because of man and his pride. And the rulers of this world have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. The world wants to silence 
Christianity today. They don't want to hear about bloody Calvary or, or torments of hell. They, they want to be left alone so they can indulge in their sin without anyone standing in their way. And I fear soon, very soon, we will see in America pastors and men being arrested for pre- preaching the truth, for preaching the truth. A nation that sought counsel from the word of God now wants to distance itself, break all ties. We want to be viewed as diverse people with no organized religion or true religion or true living God. And this is also not something that's new. If you look at the book of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 36, 16 says, but they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. What's happening today? What's the motive? They sought to defeat the influence of God, destroy God's people, destroy any reminders. And apparently the world feels, I think if we're silent about their sin, somehow it goes unnoticed and the consequences disappear. And what's interesting I thought about it is when Christ Jesus came to earth the first time, you know, he came to the Roman world, the government. Romans were in power. He came to a Greek culture, and he came to the world of Jewish religion. And all three rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Our government today has no place for the Lord Jesus Christ today. Our president's trying to do some things, but you can see the great opposition. We don't want that. We don't want him praised in public assemblies because that's conflict of church and state. We don't want him in our culture, definitely. At least we want a cool Jesus. That's fine with everything. We don't want the true Jesus. So there's rage. Then that rage leads to rebellion. And then when they rebel... Their, their, their thinking gets foggy. There's vain reasoning if you look at it. In verse 2 again, and this is, folks, it says the rulers take counsel together. So this is not done by happenstance. It's not merely they just ignore the Lord Jesus Christ. No. They actually plot against him. The rulers take counsel together. It's a mass movement, popular grassroots movement. The world is of one mind. They might have different political systems, different ideas about economic things, social structures, but one thing unites all of them. Get rid of God. Get rid of God. Men want to get rid of God's cords and bonds, as we read in verse three, we get to verse 3, because those are the restraints. Those are the bonds and cords that he put on us. Remember, we studied the Ten Commandments. And the first sermon I preached was on God's holiness. And I got some feedback from that. It was tough to listen. But really, the Ten Commandments are just God's ways of saying, I love you. When God says, for example, don't commit adultery, God is simply saying, I love you, don't hurt yourself. 
Don't be a faithful to your wife or husband or children. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt your family. You're going to hurt those around you. You're going to hurt the ones you love. You're going to hurt the church. You're going to hurt society. Don't hurt yourself. And these things that God gave us as the bonds and cords, if you read Hosea 11.4, it says, they're gentle cords and they're bands of love. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was able to them as those who take yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. But no. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. We don't want these moral, ethical teachers. The Bible, the Bible is so offensive to the rebellious human heart, folks. It's so offensive. And there's unity, evil forces plotting against the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, they're people of authority. They're called kings and rulers. Now, when we think about kings and rulers, it's not just the president or something. The one name you might heard of, George Soros, right? He's a powerful man. There's a lot of powerful people in this country. They're not politicians. Media barons, they control the mass communications. They're, there's, they're, they're how, there's scientific humanists. There's all these people. Don't just look at the government. Look at the things that are exposing things. And all these people that are in power, some are pedophiles. We don't want that sin disclosed. Living sinful lives in the dark. And modern society finds it totally unacceptable what the Bible has to say about sanctity of marriage, sexual purity, respect for parents, reverence for those in authority. We don't want none of that. About sin, salvation, God's coming judgment. So this rebellion finds its focus of universal hatred of God's people, God himself, and God's precepts. And folks, I want to tell you this. This is only the beginning. This is only the beginning, and the reason I say that is because the Holy Spirit is still with us. That's the restrainer. The worst manifestations of God's hate are yet to come. So what do we have here in first three verses? Rage, violent rage, rebellion, vain reasoning. That's what the sinful people say in these three verses. And I like how what Charles Spurgeon put it in the, about these three verses. He said, we have in these three verses a description of hatred of human nature against the Christ God. So the kings, the rulers, form a conspiracy to break these bonds that the Lord has established for their own good. good. So all these attempts will be in vain. Because true freedom comes from submitting to God and doing his will. Freedom without authority is anarchy, and anarchy destroys folks. So what's God's reaction to all this? How is it there with him? He's looking down to heaven, seeing all these people rebelling. They're shouting at him with hatred and so forth. Is he wringing his hands? Does he cry to the angels? Is he feeling defeated? Is he feeling helpless? He says, all, all this rebellion, they must want a new king, so i got to step down. What would you do if you were God? Martin Luther one time said, regarding uh, Psalm 2, he said, if I were God, I would kick the world to pieces. So what does he say? The people have spoken. We don't want the Lord. We don't want the Messiah. We don't want the precepts. Now God speaks in verses 4 through 6. He says, who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision, then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. 
we can clearly see, folks, that God is not threatened by any of this. He's not concerned about any rebellion, any coalition of nations that unites against him. Uh, He's not nagging into action. He's not getting the angels ready for the battle. He's not pacing the floor. He's not in, in heaven walking back and forth like he missed the airline connection. What does he, he it says here, he, is, he doesn't even get out of his seat. He sits on his throne. Doesn't even get up to deal with them. Completely undisturbed. And folks, God continues to rule without interruption. God is on the throne. His authority, authority is unchallenged. And the word of derision here, that's the first thing I want you to see. The Bible says God laughs. Now, what does that mean? I want you to think uh, God is not laughing because he thinks it's funny. He's laughing. God is mocking puny man as they say, no God for us. That's what he's laughing at. Men are such fools. We, like, puny man hope to win against the almighty God that created the universe. And man is like, modern man is like that revolutionary. We're going to remove God. Well, can you remove the stars? Can you remove the sun? Anything like that? You know, because we think we're so smart, we've orbited maybe Earth, you know, put man on the moon using things God has provided. We think we're God. You know, we, we split an atom nearly scared ourselves to death, and we think we're somebody when that knowledge came from God. You know, I was looked in there, uh, there was a comic script a long time, long time ago, I saw a comic, um, and it was the scientist talking to God, and he's saying, God, we don't need you anymore. We can create human beings now. We can clone things, and God says, well, all you cloned so far is a sheep. He says, I made I made man out of dirt. And the scientist says, well, give me a couple of months and we'll create man out of dirt. So the scientist goes and grabs some dirt and God, and God says, wait a minute, you got to use your own dirt. We think we got somewhere. Well, who put all this stuff here to begin with? Everything was created by God, even dirt. We think we take things that God created and somehow we're gods. God laughs at man's for being such fools. You know, we have a boxing match. We have clay and we have the potter. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? You know, recently my family and I visited the zoo and went to a polar bear and we saw a brown bear. And I don't know if you've been to the zoo lately, but the brown bears were out. Those things are huge. And the man in front of us, six feet away, said, I don't want to meet that thing in the woods. I don't want to meet that thing in the woods. Can a flea triumph an elephant? Can they do that? Should a rabbit find a, fight a lion? Look what God says in the book of Isaiah about nations and things like that. In Isaiah 40, Verses 15 through 17, it says this. Behold, the nations are a drop in a bucket and are counted as small as dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles of every little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast sufficient for, of burnt offering. All nations before him are nothing. 
and they're counted to him less than nothing and worthless. In Isaiah 40, 21, 23, it says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like curtains, spreads them out like a tent and dwell in. He brings princes to nothing. He makes the judges of earth useless. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. But then this laugh, this like puny attempt, turns to displeasure. Now, there's massive army of nations marching against God, but there's no anise in heaven. There's displeasure, but there's no panic. In verse 5, he says, Then shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Folks, for the most part, God is speaking today not in his wrath, but in his mercy. For the most part, God is speaking in his grace. But the Bible says one of these days there will be a time when God speaks in his wrath. And you know, some people question, like, how is that? How loving God is? You don't have a loving God if he's a God of wrath. We need to understand that God is not angry because he has uncontrolled emotions like we do. The wrath is kindled in his holiness against the ungodly. It's his holy nature. It doesn't mean he's vicious, but it means he's just and righteous. If you look at Psalm 711, it says this, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. What do you think? Should we put that on our church sign out there? God is a God of wrath, and that's what this verse 5 speaks of. It's prophesizing the battle of Armageddon. If you look at Revelation 6, 17, it says this, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? In Isaiah 34, 2, For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them and has given them over to slaughter. The world, folks, is on a collision course with judgment, which is surely coming. God is going to speak, and when he does, he's going to speak in his wrath. He's going to speak in his displeasure. And folks, I don't know when that's going to be, but one of these days, the, the dam of his mercy is just going to be broken, and it will unleash wrath. But my favorite verse in is verse 6, because that speaks of determination. Yet, in spite of the rantings these rebellions and the reasonings, the rage, in spite of all this, the people that say, let us break their bonds, let us, let us break the pieces and get away with these cords, in spite of all that, in spite of the ignorance of mankind, he says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. The reason I say that, that's determination. And I love that yet, because it's as good as it's already done. It's already done. Where does he do it? In Zion. Where is Zion? In just Jerusalem. The Lord has designated the king who will rule over the entire creation from Zion and Jerusalem. Now, those, this coronation has not happened yet. He's crowned in heaven. But they will be coming when Jesus returns. 
And the place where the city that he was crucified, where they plucked his beard, where they beat him, where they spat on him, where they nailed him to the cross, God says, I am going to crown him. I'm going to crown him. He says, I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. You know why? You know why he's going to do that? Because in Psalm 115 it says, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Simple answer. God does what he wants. And God is not canvassing like, hey, they're attacking me, canvassing for support of any other nations. He's not pleading with the United States like, hey, support me. He's not pleading for the wealthy to send donations to campaign for the king. He's, he's, he's not pleaded for an election here. He says, yet I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. He's going to be his king. He's already king. But he's coming down to earth. And all you nations, you're going to bow down. And then the son speaks. So we heard the voice of this guilty subjects. We heard the voice of God's great scorn against them. And now the glorious son speaks. And what does he say in verses 7 through 8? I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. Well, what's, what's he talking about here? Well, first thing we need to understand is his divine position. Divine position. He says he's the son of God. He's the son of God. So I don't know how any Old Testament believing Jew will not believe in Jesus because here in the Old Testament it says God has a son. God has a son. And he equated him to the anointed with the Messiah. So, folks, you're not going to settle your sin question until you settle your son question. And to refuse the son is to refuse the father. John 3, 35, 36 tells us, The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. He who believes in the son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the son shall, shall not see life, but the, wrath, the, but the wrath of God abides in him. Of him. Again, there's wrath. Honor the Son is to honor the Father. Honor the Father is to honor the Son. And to receive the Father is to receive the Son. And when you receive the Son, you also receive the Father. Notice again in verse 7, I will declare a decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my Son, today I have begotten you. So it speaks of his divine position. His position. And then we go to verse 8. It speaks of the son's purpose. Ask of me and I will give you the nations of your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. Why is earth here? You ever ask that question? Why, why are nations here? Why was it all made? Why was it all made? Why did God create us? Well, we need to read the book of Colossians. If you go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, it says, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For him, all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominations, principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So everything in this place was created for him. That's what this verse is talking about in verse 8. I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So the son says, 
I'm a son of God. That's his position. That's my purpose. I'm the king of everything. And he speaks of his divine purpose, and his purpose is to rule and reign. And we need to understand the kingdom of God is not what we have here. It's not, not of the people, by the people, for the people. It's a kingdom ruled by a king, and God does not rule by the consent of his subjects, but by his sovereign attorney, uh, authority. He reigns, extends over me, folks, over everybody. Whenever you voted for him or accepted him or not, may not have accepted him, but he's still king. He's still your king. And you know, there's been many people throughout history that would not bend the knee to Jesus Christ. Many people. They would not bend the knee. They refused to submit. But I'll just bring up a few famous ones. Hitler, Stalin, I don't know who else. All the godless rulers of the past. And folks, all the godless rulers of the future, they're going to bow the knee. Why? Because let me give you some scriptures. And this is just a few, but the Bible is full of them. And Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has almighty highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That is the name of Jesus, what? Every knee should bow. Of those of heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Romans 14, 11, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess God. Matthew 24, uh, 25, 31 through 34 says, And when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations, all these rebellions, nations, all nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate one from another as shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set his sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left hand. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you are blessed, my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. But then he goes on to say in Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to all those on the left hand, depart from me, you're cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What's happening? Separation of two teams. The goats may be winning right now, but there's time left on the clock. The goats may be winning, but they will lose. And you still have today's the day of salvation where you can still join Team Jesus. And it speaks of his power. If you, before I ver, read verse 9, I want to look at you with you at uh, Revelation 19.15 where it says this. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. That with it he shall strike nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. Sharp sword, ruled them with the rod of iron. And look at Psalm 9. See if you see any comparisons. So Psalm 2, verse 9, it says, shall, You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like potter's vessel. This is what's interesting in this verse. This is God the Son quoting God the Father saying to God the Son, Son, I'm giving you all the power. You're going to rule. You have this divine power. And Psalm 2 is really, next to Psalm 1, is also one of my favorite psalms. 
And the reason is, is because it's prophesizing. It's give us, it gives us this great hope. But sometimes we're like, well, when is he going to come? When is he coming? Well, if the reason it gives me so much comfort is because of 1 Timothy 6.15. It says, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed, only pontinate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So, first of all, it says, he's the only king. But he will manifest it in his own time. It speaks of his time. You see, God is never ahead of time. We're, we're suffering here or whatever you think God doesn't know. He knows. But his timing is not our timing. God is never in a hurry. God knows exactly, precisely what he's doing. And he says, I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Folks, to us, that, that should be the end. He's going to rule the nations with a rod and iron, and his times will show, and he's the only king. So he speaks of the son. He speaks of his position. He speaks of his purpose. He speaks of his power. And folks, I want to tell you something. When you're following Jesus Christ and you're obeying his commandments and you're, you're sticking to the will of God, uh, you're not following a loser. He will win. He cannot fail. We need to understand that Satan in this world is sailing a sinking ship. And they're ruling a doomed domain. And the reason I'm telling you that, because we really need to listen to the last three verses, because this is the voice of God's gracious spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking. We heard the rebels, we heard God, we heard the Son. Now listen to what the Holy Spirit says in verses 10 through 12. And if you're here this morning, if you're not a child of God, or maybe you're drifted away, the Holy Spirit is talking to you. First of all, there's a voice of exhortation. Verse 10, it says, Now therefore, I heard it said it before, if you see a therefore in the Bible, see what it's there for. Therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. What's the Holy Spirit saying here? It says, wise up. We got God speaking, we got Jesus speaking. Now the Holy Spirit saying, you heard all those voices, rebellious people. It's time to wise up. How do you wise up? Well, Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, people who are wise people, who say, well, I don't know everything. So maybe what the Bible says, there is something. They're not going to scoff at these warnings issued in this song. Those who people that oppose the Lord will not succeed. God's will has been established in heaven. In due time, it will be carried out on earth. Jesus will reign, and all those who reject him will perish. And the Holy Spirit is saying, use your noggin. Use it. Wise up. Get smart. Listen to the word written down. He says, be wise. And in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.15 so you have to fear the Lord. So how do you get even wiser? Vincent mentioned the Word of God last Sunday. It says, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise, for what? For salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, sometimes I look at these powerful, smart people, like the Mark Zuckerbergs, Bill Gates. They're, they're smart, right? They, they reject God. They're fools. 
How can a, such a smart person willing to die a fool? Because the fool said there is no God. And 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says, For he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. All enemies will be under God's feet. So he's telling them to wise up. And then look with me, verses 11 through 12 again. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. We see a word, not just exhortation, but we see an invitation in here. It says, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. And perhaps that's the sweetest invitation in the Bible. And the reason I say that, it, because you have to understand when he's writing this psalm about those nations that rage and rebel, he's saying this to them. He's, all these people are throwing sticks at God in heaven. He's saying, wise up, listen, come to me. He's not giving them rage or wrath yet. He's giving an invitation. He says, wise up, come up. Give the kiss of love and devotion to God. Psalm 85, 9 through 10 says, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. You want our land to prosper? We need to learn how to fear God. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Folks, we need to understand that when I talk about the wrath of God, it's there. But God takes no pleasure in his wrath. God rather see men saved than punished, but he will not force his love, his mercy to those who are determined to rebel. And before waging war, he offers conditions of peace. Their arms of rebellion, folks, must be put down. All unbelievers must give attention to this. The invitation is offered by God in this psalm to come to Christ by faith. And folks, this commitment to believe Upon God's Son involves acknowledging that you've been part of this sinful rebellion against Him. The, the confession of personal guilt is not just owning up to sin. It's a sober admission of one's sin and wretchedness in, in the sight of a holy, holy God. And then with brokenness and godly sorrow, you must experience deep remorse for your sins. And folks, we need to understand, no one struts into heaven. None of us. None of us deserve to be there. And God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And this kiss is an act of homage and submission. If you look at Luke 7, verses 40, 44 through 47, he says this. This is Jesus speaking. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with their hair in her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Folks, I come from Uzbekistan, and anybody from Uzbekistan tell you, when you enter somebody's house, you're going to get kissed. Sometimes when you go to a Russian church, you got guys coming up to me, don't know who they are, like, hey, 
It's an act of love. And that's what he's talking about, kiss the sun. And the Holy Spirit is saying, wise up. He's given an invitation, says, come give a kiss to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the person who truly believes must shift his allegiance from self, not even the nations, from self. Remember that pride? It's that eye. Everybody's got an eye in them. So you got to shift from self to submitting to him as Lord, as Savior, as King. And then the Holy Spirit, again, gives a warning. There's plenty of warnings before judgment comes. In verse 12, he says this, Kiss the Son lest you be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled by a little. Folks, understand this. If you keep rejecting the come of salvation, if you keep rejecting the come of salvation, you will accept the depart in damnation. Understand that. Anybody here does not know Christ. If you do not accept the come, you will accept the depart from him. When God, Son, Son of Man, comes, as we read in Matthew 25, what's he going to do? He's going to divide the nations. He's going to divide the goats and the sheep, the saints and the ants. He's just using, I'm not calling anybody a name here, but he's just using the analogy here. He's the God of wrath. And the person who is holding on to his sin and rebelling against the Lord Jesus will be judged with his sin and will perish. And the day of wrath is at hand. But he gives a warning. There's an invitation. There's warning again. And then in verse 12, he says this. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. And folks, if you really read this psalm a couple of times, you should understand that there is no refuge from him. There is only refuge in him. The wrath of God is coming. Still speaking in mercy. He's not even getting out of his seat with all this rebellion stuff going on. Why? I set my king on Zion. We'll deal with it at that time. Everything is going to according to schedule. Outside of Jesus, there's danger, there's death, there's doom. Folks, find your refuge, find your rest, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But folks, those who accepted him in your heart, who try to live out his commandments, who try to do the will of God, who stay committed to him, I want to let you... Know this, though we may be discouraged and you look in TV, throw the thing away. You're looking at TV and you're discouraged. I want you to know we're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. Jesus is coming. Folks, you know, you ever play checkers? Maybe I can explain it this way. The idea in order to win the game, you got to get your checkers over to the king's row. Right? So... When you get your checker over the king's row, what do you say? Crown me, right? When you get to the king's row, you say, crown me. God is maneuvering 
the affairs of this world. He is. You think he, this is a surprise what we're going through to him? No, he's just putting these things over here, putting things over there because the day is coming. If you want to know what's going on in the world, pay attention to Israel. Did you guys hear all the bad news? Did you hear a peace deal with the Arabs? Maybe a peace deal. Maybe worldly peace. But for Bible believers, that should be a sign that the time is near. Because it's all prophesied in the Bible. And folks, the reason I say this, because, you know, I'm too a human being. And this COVID thing, like not going to be able to go to work, got to work from home, it's so inconvenient, it's so stressful, and all that kind of stuff. And, and we think it's, like, bad, and we're, you know, hurting, or we're going through sorrow, we're suffering. Folks, remember when I said this is nothing yet? Read with me Revelation 6.16, what kind of time will come. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him. Who's him? Who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who's able to stand? A day is going to come when people out in the world are going to say, mountains, cover us, cover us. That's how bad it's going. But it's going to be God's grasp. And folks, I want to be clear that God has already set a date for judgment. You make and break your appointments here on earth. But that's one appointment we're all going to keep. He already set the date. I don't know what that is. But before that date happens, before he comes, again in verse 12, he says, Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Who are you putting your trust in? Government? People? Your job? Economy? Your 401k? Blessed are all those who put their trust in in him. And to this we'll say amen. Let's pray. God and creator of all, we're made in your image, yet many deny you and despise the Messiah who is your son. But by your spirit, keep us humble and faithful so that our lives may proclaim your Savior's love and inspire others to find their refuge in you. And Father, I pray for those that who read this psalm and still remain unconverted and, you know, that they humble themselves this day to come to faith in the Lord's anointed Jesus Christ and may surrender and accept your unconditional terms of peace before it's too late. May they grasp the seriousness of their rebellion against you and take refuge in your son, Father. May, may they believe and be saved. And Father, as we leave this worship center today, I ask throughout this week that that you be with us, and we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.